Welcome to the show, everyone. You're listening to After Further Review. Mark Ferreira, John Pelkey, Jeff Taylor on the board and as our producer as well. Welcome, everyone. We've got a busy show for you today. We're going to talk uh, pandemic politics. We may even have a little bubble check. Which I know that does not please John Pelkey. <laughs> oh, I just want bubble check. I just don't want. I just don't want politics. I, I, I do politics all just, morning. You're just so afraid. You're just so afraid. You're 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 afraid, John. You not should not afraid. be afraid. No, no fear. Afraid. I have no fear. I have no fear. I think people like that. I do. I think no people fear. enjoy that. No so fear. you know me. I'm just an audience pleaser. I'm just a people pleaser, John. Oh, no, please. That's all I am. I mentioned before that this show was nothing but you and I trying to work out our existential issues. Yes. That, yes. that was a that was a bald faced lie and a cheap attempt for me trying to go for a laugh. And you're welcome, America. It worked because I got that laugh. Yes. But what this really is, what it really comes down to, and what you will uh, you will utilize, what little energy you still have left, is uh, basically just an attempt to convince Jeff to take your position on everything. Uh, here's the thing, Jeff. Here's what you don't want to do. Here's let me let me give you a little insight into Mark Ferreira here is uh, if you're going to agree with him, agree with him 100 percent or disagree with him 100 percent. Yeah. What you don't want to do is leave an opening. No, you can't give him a sliver of hope because then then there he he, the man is nonstop. We've right. coined a phrase. It's called Ferreira land. You will have entered <laughs> Ferreira land. Thank you to Ferreira land. Indeed. Mark completely disagreeing with Mark doesn't anger him in any way. He, you know, he has that all. <laughs> no, you know, I'm very good about well that. Yeah, you're really good about that. But <laughs> if you were to say, if, if you were to say, let's let's take a sports story right now. If, if, if you were to say, well, you know, I have no problem with people kneeling after the game then that would leave, Mark, a a sliver that he would try to get you back to not only kneeling before the game, but literally kneeling on your way to the game and whatever his position is on it. You can't give him a sliver of hope. So I'm just saying to you, to save you the aggravation that I have 21 years of experience with, either go with him 100% or completely disagree. Yes, he understands that. And, uh, oh, I don't know, five, six years ago, he came up with the ooh, brilliant strategy of agreeing to disagree. I'm doing that, air quotes, podcast listeners. Agree to disagree. That, that really angers you. Oh, it makes me furious. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That is the worst. So you have you have that extra special insight, Jeff, I, when we do get to this bubble check today. I wonder how you would take one one of my favorite things to say was I would, I would agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. I've heard that, and it's interesting. I've heard that from a lot of right-wing folks. Yeah. It's, it's really weird. I got like a shirt and a mug, I think, one time with the, that saying on it one Christmas. Yeah, I, I didn't a coin that right-wing friend of mine. It's like, you know, I'd like to agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. <laughs> and that's cute. It is cute. All right, on today's show, we're going to talk about pandemic politics. That, In terms of it relating to sports, we will relate it to sports. We won't completely Why? abandon that. Why? I know. I mean, really, what's the what, point? What is the point? <laughs> In the end, what really is the point? There is none. We'll have some fun uh, with Derek Abbott, who is a, a frequent guest of the show, a friend of the show, I would say. Uh, he's uh, spent some time studying uh, NFL teams and offenses and and some defensive tape as well. We can uh, break down some of these teams. We're going to try and do that once a week, once every other week with him. We'll start with the L.A. Rams today, John, Yeah, because we're going to start on the West Coast. Most of our viewers and listeners 
are from the West Coast. And, you know, this East Coast centric nonsense has led us to where we are in this country right now, if you ask me. So, uh, okay, fair enough. Nothing to do with the fact that the the only people paying attention to us right at this moment are your childhood friends and family. Yeah. And all, all and they're all on the West Coast. All of them from California. <laughs> from the it. West Coast. So it. we'll start there. We'll do some other fun stuff as well. We'll get into uh, the, the NBA, what they're doing. Ed Ogeron. Uh, o- Ogeron, is that the proper? Orgeron. Or- Orgeron. Uh, Kenny Stills is in the news as well. Love Kenny Stills. Got a we're whole list get... of great things he's done. Kenny Stills. He's an <laughs> oh, American gonna... hero. He re- well, certainly now he is. Yep. And uh, we're going to get to that in just a bit. But first, let's bring in Derek Abbott. And we're going to do that right now. And we're going to and, and Derek, we're going to ask you if we can. We're, we're, are you much of an NBA fan, Derek? At all. Not, necess- not necessarily. I mean, uh, until the Orlando Magic get better. Well, <laughs> then, then never. The so then, then you won't ever be that. Right. Derrickson so. is in his 20s. He'll probably live a good another 70 years. Not much of a chance, Derek. You're going to see that. So Nope. Not wow. unless Pittsburgh gets a team. Oof. That's true. That's true. You know, you grow up in a city without a team. But you don't have much interest. That's, that's the truth. And that's Very what happens true. in Pittsburgh and unfortunately, in Orlando as well. All right, Derek, I want to start this out. And and, uh, and I do realize I skipped over the progressive, John, but I wanted to get to our guest. Right. You also didn't uh, tell people that Derek, in addition to being a friend of the show, which really doesn't, boy, that doesn't sit well on a resume. If you put on your resume, friends of after further review, you're going to be unemployed a lot longer than this, uh, than this whole quarantine thing. Derek is also so you're saying I should take it off. Yeah, we, please. Yeah. For God's sake, I was going to get man. to that, John, but that's okay. Go ahead. Tell, <laughs> tell, tell him what his actual resume is. Assistant football coach at the Coast Guard Academy and former uh, Robert Morris quarterback and uh, just all-around knowledgeable football man. So, again, we question, why is he on our show? He's he's a nice guy and, you know, frankly, has nothing else to do. That's what he at least he tells me. He's Very got true. nothing else to do except well, be a guest on our show and tell us, what the latest is before we get to the Rams? What is the latest with the Coast Guard Academy in terms of when you've co- when are you coming back? Uh, do you have any sort of uh, line in the sand? Anything that is for sure that you know of coming up in the fall, Derek? That that's been communicated to you from the academy. Well, I can tell you this one. Thank you guys for having me on again. Um, that th- this whole thing kind of changes almost hour to hour, not even day to day. Um, you kind of see what the Ivy League has done, what the Patriot League has now done, um, and, and moving their season back to spring um, is that something that we we are looking at. You know, I'm not really sure. I, the, I believe the uh, the conference presidents and, and the ads are supposed to meet sometime this week to try and, and map things out. Um, you know, I know us and, and Admiral Kelly. You know, we want to play. You know, we want to play football. You know, our guys are eager to get back. Um, it just kind of depends as what the plan is for everybody else. Cause you know, MIT that's in our conference has dropped out, uh, Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, where my brother went to school and played there, you know, they dropped out of the season. So we're really just unsure. And we, like I said, we want to play, um, our guys are, 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 are nipping at it to get back to it, but it kind of depends on what everybody else does as well. It's a domino effect. 
Yeah, we should also point out the Pennsylvania State Athletic uh, Conference, which is a D2 uh, conference with, I think, 24 schools. They've scheduled a, a press conference for later today. One of our uh, longtime listeners and, and friends, Lenny, passed that along, who lives up there in, uh, in, in Pennsylvania as well. And they are expected to, uh, to do away with their fall sports. So this is picking up momentum. And Derek, to your point, there's even discussion now in some of the larger conferences, Southeastern Conference, where uh, while nobody obviously is committing to every, anything, and I think most people like yourself would love to play. I think everybody wants mm-hmm. to, to see play, but they are looking at, uh, if not moving to the spring, pushing back the start of their season to October, maybe even as late as November and playing it later. So those discussions are still on the board because to Derek's point, Mark, this thing changes by the hour. Yeah, no doubt about it. And no one knows uh, whether they're going to have a season at all, whether they're going to have half a season, whether they're going to have a season in the spring. Everything is up for grabs. And more importantly, who's Notre Dame going to play? Bring them in. Come on. I love that. I'll drive up there for that. I'll tell you this. If they're going to push us back to the spring, that's going to be one cold season. That's going to be playing like every game in February in Lambeau or January in Lambeau. I mean, I don't know if you go, if anybody's ever been to New London, Connecticut in, in January or February, but those are some pretty cold months. I mean, I'm, I'm wearing a couple of jackets. I'm a Florida guy. So, yeah, it, it, it's there. It's less than ideal. And that's why I'm really surprised we're seeing as many as many uh, conferences at least enter into the discussion. And I think it's just again, I think I think it's smart. I think all these institutions, I mean, certainly Derek's institution, the Coast Guard Academy, I mean, the IQ of the people running around there is well beyond we, what we can even think about. There are smarter people than us uh, to, in charge of the, these conferences and these teams, um, but they're earning their paycheck because to your point, Mark, we've said it again and again and again on the show. Remaining flexible at this point in time is the most important thing. It's more important than committing to anything. You just have to be flexible. You, you know things are serious when uh, the, the SEC and when Georgia Bulldog blogs are saying things like it doesn't look real good yeah. for at least September. Perhaps in October, perhaps November start. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, while you're – Sitting and waiting while you're hurrying up and waiting, Derek, and we know what that's like. We really do. And we can relate to your, you know, to your frustration, to your angst, to your existential angst. I mean, that's that's where we are as well. You're a much younger man, so I'm sure it's nowhere near as severe as it is with John and I. But uh, in the meantime, you're like, you know, you're making yourself productive and you're studying team. You've had a lot of experience talking with a, a lot of coaches in the NFL. You've traversed that area as well, looking for uh, looking for, you know, jobs in the National Football League with certain clubs. You have a lot of uh, connections there. And in your travels, you've started to study some film and you come from a very specific point of view, as John mentioned, you know, starting quarterback for Robert Morris. You've been an assistant coach uh, in a variety of venues, including right now at the Coast Guard Academy. So you come from a very specific point of view and we're going to start analyzing some of these NFL teams as we head into the, as we head into the season, we're going to start with the Los Angeles Rams. And the question I have for you, Derek, is that McVay got in there and in 16 and in 17, turned the thing around. Jeff Fisher was a, you know, had, sort of run them into the ground. They were really a horrible team for at least a decade. And 
he comes in there, turns this thing around immediately. I think they win 11 games that first season. They get to the playoffs. Uh, Jared Goff, who there are a lot of questions about him being a bust or not. He was great. And then they get to the Super Bowl the next year. So they did a lot of things right those first two years, Derek. What did they do differently last year to kind of have them fall off the cliff a little bit? They were 9-7, and seven, so I will give them that. But that's a mediocre season. What was different about 19 that, that, that wasn't the same in 17 and 18 for the Los Angeles Rams? I think the first thing you got to start with is kind of debunking the whole uh, Sean McVay is no longer a genius anymore. Because, you know, you heard that on sports talk radio after, you know, the fourth week and uh, McVay lost his magic. And you really started after the Super Bowl when everybody thought, you know, they had the blueprint to to stop McVay's offense uh, in, in that sense. I think the biggest act of, of them taking a step back last year was them getting old up front and having some key injuries at key positions and then not having a maybe 100% Todd Gurley. Um, and that's kind of the part that, you know, injuries and, and having a struggling offensive line, I think to, to just start with the base of McVay's offense starts with the offensive line. It's, it starts and begins with it. Everything is done off of what we call outside zone or just zone running schemes, meaning the offensive line is not blocking a single person. They're blocking an area. So everything is predicated off of that run game concept. And then they go deep into the play action uh, plethora that they have. Now, one of the things that he prides himself in is the illusion of complexity. Might not have a lot of plays or a lot of formations, but you have motions and shifts and things that, that are able to make the defense think it's one thing. And it's almost like you're a magician. You're showing them one thing and then you're doing another. So a defense is always one step behind. Now, when you don't have a run game and when you don't have an offensive that can jerk off that time to work into progression into the downfield, cross your throws or post route throws, that's where the offense now kind of sputters. And now you're getting into a third and eight, third and nine, and now you got to throw out of the gun. And now defense can kind of just figure you out a little bit. I want to ask about golf a little bit um, because uh, you know, he uh, there were questions of him coming out of Cal because of the system that they ran and that, you know, you might not be best, uh, uh, the best fit for an NFL quarterback. And uh, then he took a really, really sizable leap in their NFC championship year. And uh, he was more inconsistent last year, certainly. But I, I think, again, when, when, when a team struggles, quarterback either gets uh, too much too much credit when you're doing well, too little credit when the team is, is doing poorly. But what did you see with, uh, with Jared Goff? Um, could it have been, to, to Mark's point, there was more film now on Goff and, and teams seeing what he really can do in McVay's offense and adjusting? Um, or, I mean, are there just those, uh, are there just the situation that uh, a lot of teams coming off of a deep run in the playoffs the next year, the, it, it, for whatever reason, and they had injuries to your point, and Todd Gurley was huge uh, for them in their NFC Championship year, hurt last year and playing not as well when he was hurt, uh, when he when he was uh, healthy. But uh, did you did you see anything with golf that makes you worry, or did you just look at it and say, you know, it, it's not all MVP. Everybody doesn't have an MVP year every year. No, absolutely not. And it's not like basketball where the quarterback is control or where one player can overtake the game. Maybe Patrick Mahomes, he's an outlier. <laughs> right. But when you look at the type of quarterback that Jared Goff is, 
he fits what they do very, very well. He's a precision thrower in a very clean pocket. He does very well off of play action. He could push the ball down the field. He's a really what we call an anticipation thrower, meaning that he's able to throw into zone windows on timing routes. So it's very West Coast-like. Remember, Sean McVay, his grandfather worked for the San Francisco 49ers with Bill Walsh. So you can kind of see that tree kind of just trickling down into these West Coast timing-type concepts. So he works very, very well. The problem is, is that when he doesn't have that time, when he does have to get off of a spot um, and make a throw, he could struggle. Or if he doesn't see something that he initially um, believes is true, he can double clutch and miss throws. And then his mechanics kind of kind of struggle. He leans his shoulder here and there. Um, but he, he is a rhythm thrower. He's an anticipation thrower. And that's where he really, really does well is these, these beautiful touch passes. Um, if you watch back in the Super Bowl and you've heard McVay talk about it, there's two plays that they run that is a staple concept for him. It's basically a deep post route from one side and then a deep crosser route from the other side. On two occasions in the Super Bowl, Goff misses the throw on just late read. One is a late read that um, that uh, what's his name? Uh, McCordy breaks up late in the game that he just misses. And then early Goff gets pressure and isn't able to get the ball off. So when he does have time, when he has a clean pocket, he strives and he does well. And that's kind of what you got in 2018. When he doesn't have time, doesn't have the run game. That's what kind of happens. Um, what you saw last year in 2019. So Derek, you were mentioning that it's really not that complicated. Their offense. It's, it's more about, illusion it's more about movement it's not necessarily about a lot of different formations or different plays to that point does jared goff really only need if things are working well really only need one or two reads because from the play you're you're uh you're talking about right there those were the only guys that went out there's only yeah. two guys going out and you think about flooding the entire zone you think about that mm -hmm. when you think about the rams and and this you know this misdirection kind of thing mm -hmm. uh is that is that what it's predicated upon that we are trying to give him that kind of set him up for that kind of success so he only has to read one crossing or one deep sort of thing uh, every time out as a rule? Well, their play action um, their play action package is certainly like that. A lot of times it may be only one, two, three guys out in a route, maybe a flat player is a check down or something like that, or using the back out of the backfield off of the play action. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of it is deep crossers are really into that. And then um, if you watch their alignments as well, they have a tighter and a condensed alignment, which gives their receivers a free release. It's what's called, we call it spray release. So a defensive back now has to figure out, okay, is this guy going to cross? Is this guy going to go vertical? Is he going to cut out? So it gives a quarterback a little bit more of a clear read. And it also helps the receivers angles in the run game. Now, when we talk about the bigger thing, I mean, you hear it all the time in, in, on TV now is personnel. What kind of personnel does the team use? So for the Rams in the last couple of years, they've been strictly 11 personnel. Now, when we say 11 personnel, you're going to get the first number is a running back. The second number is tight ends. So if we say 11 personnel, that means there's one running back and one tight end on the field. Okay, The Rams are almost exclusively 11 personnel the last couple of years that changed a little bit last year due to injuries with, with and then Tyler Higby coming along and then um, Everett was well uh, playing very well. So they went to actually 12 personnel a little bit, which means now one tight end 
or I'm sorry, one running back, two tight ends. I'm, I'm messing up my own, <laughs> my, my own verbiage here, but, but, you, but it creates um, the like illusion of complexity. It's a very flexible personnel grouping where you're able to manipulate and move receivers and tight ends to, to give a defense a different look. And now, now defense has to prepare for it like weekly. So now what was one play the week before out of the same grouping and personnel and, and formation might be a different player, one minor tweak in a route that can throw off a tendency. All right. I want to ask you know, while we're talking about uh, the West Coast offense, because one of the things that made the West Coast offense go so well was uh, having a back like Roger Craig, who was a, a terrific back. You could play play action off Craig, but also good catching the ball out of the uh, uh, out of the backfield. So for for a situation where you have two two hot reads, no, no, two hot reads, but you have two uh, reads, the choice after that would be to to, uh, to check down to either a tight end or uh, or a running back. They've, they've lost Todd Gurley, who, uh, whatever you want to think about his production, I mean, he'd been in the system for a while. They're bringing in a guy, Cam Akers from Florida State, as, as a rookie. They're expecting him to contribute. And they've got a lot of guys behind, behind him who've been there, a couple of guys who've been there, Henderson, a couple other guys, who, uh, while they like them, they really don't have a great deal of, uh, of experience. It, uh, They've upgraded, I think, at the tight end position a little bit. Uh, they got really, really lucky with the with the kid from Purdue that they got very, very late. Who a lot of people think mm-hmm. is going to be is going to be quite good. Um, do they have the personnel um, now without a Todd Gurley to uh, to make that play action that's so important to a West Coast offense to make it go? I think so. I, I think that it'll be different. I think that you can you might see them shift to more of the 12 personnel, the uh, one running back, two tight end sets that you saw them do at the end of last year a little bit, because remember you, they lost Brandon cooks as well. Right. Right. So now you have Robert Woods and you have Cooper cup. Then you have the two tight ends that showed promise last year. You have cam Akers and Daryl Henderson. And I kind of expect those two guys. And this is just, I have no basis off of this. I'm just assuming <laughs> that th- those two guys will kind of split time and kind of fill the role for Todd Gurley because now you have a guy like Cam Akers that is able to to be productive in the pass game as well and, and make plays just like Todd Gurley did. And then now um, what they drafted also Van Jefferson from, from the University of Florida. A lot of people are thinking that it might take him a little bit longer uh, to catch up to speed in the NFL and everything. He was a very good route runner coming out of college. Um, just needs to refine a couple things here, pick up the playbook. So in the time being, you could see them shift instead of saying, we're going to put our third best receiver on the field. Why not put our two, our one, a and one B tight ends on the field, get a better grouping of a personnel and get your best players out there. So you could see um, Cooper woods on the outside and then Everett and, uh, and Higby at, at the tight end spots. And you, there's no reason why they couldn't do all the shifts and motions and, and everything else and create base everything off of play action just like they could. But a lot of it, again, it, it begins and ends with the offensive line. Lamar, can I, do you mind? Let me just jump in for a follow-up really, really quickly. And then I'll, and I'll turn it back over to you because it, uh, Derek brings, started playing my ball field. So we're going to make a, a, a Washington football team reference because really that two tight end single back set was what Joe Gibbs brought to the, uh, to the skins. Um, who, who now I will call something different from now on, but uh, to, to Washington. Now. 
<laughs> Will uh, brought to Washington. And one of the reasons he did it, uh, most importantly, was because he was in the same division as Lawrence Taylor and some other guys who would really get mm-hmm. after the quarterback. And to that, what you're saying, it seems to me that that would benefit Goff a great deal as well, because one of the things you can do with it with a two tight end set is you can chip on outside rushers or even help short double teams on guys. Do you think Absolutely. that that the that that will improve the blocking because again uh they're up front play because again there there were injuries last year but also some of the guys while playing just did not seem to play up to the level that they did before so is it a double a thing with uh it does, are there two positives in that respect which is you've got to strengthen your tight ends now seemingly uh that you might not have in your wide receivers to start with mm. so there are better options that way but also you're going to keep your young quarterback you're going to buy him an extra second second and a half, two seconds, which is critical in, mm-hmm. in, in West coast offense. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no, and those guys are obviously, um, viable pass catchers as well. Some people saying, you know, Higby is, is kind of like a discount Kelsey. Um, so really when you have two tight ends in, in today's game, you look at kind of how Philadelphia, uh, runs a lot of their 12 personnel where you have one tight end that can kind of do it all. You're a really good run blocker. You can make catch or catches in the pass game. And then you have another one that's kind of a hybrid. You have a guy that, that you can line up in the slot and it causes a lot of personnel mismatches for a defense to try and figure out, do we want to put another linebacker on him? Do we want to bring a safety down? Do we want to put a nickel? Like, is he too small to guard a tight end? Um, you, you kind of see those kind of mismatches. So I could see the Rams kind of trending in that direction a little bit. And then again, too, you know, we talked about the different kinds of run game concepts, right? So we talked about zone zone blocking schemes where you're blocking an area. You, you want athletic linemen that can get out and, and move people and get to the second level as well. Well, I, I, th- you, I think you can kind of see them maybe using a little bit more what we call gap scheme. So that's usually like your pow- your power and your counter, which is, more for pulling guard to get up into a, a linebacker into the second level or kick out an end or an outside linebacker. And, and the gaps are more defined for the running back. So in a gap scheme, you're going through, you know, this gap, the C gap or the B gap or something in that sense. In a zone, it could cut back all the way just because of flow. Now, when you watch Cam Akers, he has a very, very good understanding of flow, similar to Todd Gurley. So when he gets out to around the B, C gap, if everything's flowing hard, he's able to put his foot in the ground and cut back. Um, and, you know, your backside uh, offensive linemen are able to work up to the second level as well. So there's a lot of different things that they could do, but I, in my opinion, I think that you might see more 12 personnel until maybe now who's to say that Van Jefferson doesn't come and just blow it up in training camp and they can get back to doing everything that they did with Brandon cooks and everything else in that, in that sense. Um, but you know, you just, well, who knows? You can only install so much over zoom right now. Right. Yeah, no, right. no <laughs> doubt about that. Wow. Right. Gonna... Everything with the caveat that this year is yeah. not like any other year. Yes. Exactly. Go, go down. I'll hit you. Go deep. Yeah. That's, that's all they'll have. Go, go down deep. to that Pontiac on the left. Seriously. Cut the, yeah, exactly. Cut toward the house. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so, Derek, we have a question from one of our viewers. We'll put it up on the screen right now. And I will also let our podcast listeners know it's from Matthew. Did Goff's issue? with late reads 
last year affect the deep ball accuracy. He didn't seem to take advantage of his weapons last year. Now, we talked about his problems with his line, the fact that they that uh, the play action wasn't as effective if the running game isn't as good, obviously, by definition. But was there some sort of drop-off in his decision-making um, and maybe slash accuracy last year? Well, we can go all the way back to even in, in the Super Bowl. Um, when you're watching some of the tape where he's not really sure what he's looking at all the time. When he's unsure, you could see him kind of double clutch and, and then miss the throw because his feet aren't set or he dips his shoulder or something in that sense. But you talk about last year, you know, we heard Sam Darnold on on mic'd up or uh, when he was mic'd up saying seeing ghosts. Well, you know, if you have your back turned on a play action pass, your internal clock, I mean, it, it's a pretty common thing. Quarterback coaches and quarterbacks talk about it, that internal clock. It goes a little quicker after you've been hit a couple of times and, and it gets the, the downfield vision kind of comes forward and you start to look at that offensive line a little bit more. So I, I think that might have had something to do with it more because right. now his internal clock is thinking, I got to get this ball out quick because I'm going to have – you know, who, uh, whoever's coming in my face almost immediately because my right guard, this is my backup right guard, or this is my backup center. And I don't really trust that as much as I would on a normal basis. So I think that that has more to do with it less than the scheme itself, because the scheme itself, I mean, you watch, they, they had some games where they played great and other games where they just really, really, really struggled so, when they played like so when maybe, they played Baltimore. Maybe this is a LA Ram thing, John. That that they just sense the quarter the the line coming in they they sense the defensive lineman coming in a little quicker than it than it really is that they feel like they have one or two seconds less than they do. We've seen that with many 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 LA Ram quarterbacks who just we really have. I I, I think it's interesting. I, I think one of the things that Jim Everett being of course the the the, the, the most number notable. one guy. Yes, of yes. course. Um, I, I think it's it's notable too, Derek, as you bring this up and you talked about that uh, Goff seemed to be confused at times and he just didn't know what he was looking at in the Super Bowl. Honestly, if he just would have called Marv Levy or anyone on the coaching staff or a player for the Buffalo Bills when they faced the Giants and a Bill Belichick defense, by the way, yep. they all said the same thing is that we came up here and we were expecting, we talked about Derek watching films, they'd watch films, this is what they expected to get and they got something completely different so mark maybe what we should do is look back at those teams they struggled against and say hey maybe these are the defensive coordinators who might need a little bit of a nod for a head coaching job because uh if you can create confusion and we've seen it with tom brady when he has less time the greatest of all time if you can create uh confusion and you can put a little pressure on the best of the best are going to perform under expectations it's just the way so what have we learned so far that it's the offense starts starts with the offensive line. Everything starts that, up front. And <laughs> that if you get pressure on the quarterback, you will, uh, you know, take him out of his rhythm. It's so, not a but, difficult game in the it, end. It's really well, not. You you build from the line out. And that's go, the thing. It, go, go ahead. Oh, Derek, Derek. Go, going off your point, uh, John, that, you, you know, you look back at teams that had success. So if right. you go all the way back in 2018 and they struggled on a Sunday night in Chicago, if you remember correctly, yeah, it was like ten to six or something. Yeah, they, yeah, they struggled with with that certain front and that defense. Now you obviously have Khalil Mack, and they had one of the better defenses in the NFL at the time. You flat, you go forward to the Super Bowl. New England did a very, very similar thing, and in a front, and in the defense was basically like a six-one front. 
So you have six guys on the line, whether they be linebackers or down defensive line. They even had at times only two guys with their hand in the dirt and then like four other guys standing around to try and figure out who's coming and who's not. Um, And that really, really shut down some of their perimeter run game stuff where Todd Gurley wasn't able to get outside where they were able to shut down some of them fly sweeps with with Robert Woods um, that they tried to accomplish. And I was watching it and I was at Lindenwood prior um, about two years ago. And the only other time I've ever seen anybody run anything like that is when we played Northwest Missouri State. And they're, they're a D2 powerhouse. They're good every year. And I'm watching the film. I'm going, this is Northwest Missouri State's defense. This is what they run. <laughs> and basically, we're going to stop the run. We're going to let one linebacker run sideline to sideline and make every play and scrape over the top. And you got to throw. That's basically what happened. It, it's a 6-1, <laughs> right? A 6-1-4, basically, is, what, is how they yes. Went. Yeah. And then, what, and then the principles in the back can kind of change. You can kind of play a man coverage. You can play a combination coverages of, of zone. Um, but that's basically what they got in the Super Bowl. And I don't again, Goff obviously did not read it as well um, at times and missed some guys. Knowing that the defensive line is just as important, uh, quickly, Derek, uh, just a, a quick overview on their defense, which definitely took a, uh, a step back last year as well, perhaps even more than their offense did. Again, they had injuries, and they, they made some some trades midseason that cost them, I think, a lot. Um, but in your mind, do they have what it takes up, up front and on the back end to compete in that division, which has Russell Wilson? and uh, you know, I mean, it has four great, four very, very good quarterbacks and very good offensive teams and schemes. Are they, are they going to be, you know, able to stop teams when they need to? Well, well they definitely lost some, some veterans on, on that, uh, on that defense. You look at Clay Matthews, uh, Eric Weddle, the trade uh, with Marcus Peters. Um, now they obviously got Jalen Ramsey in return from it. Uh, we'll see how much they have to pay him in the long term. And then you obviously have arguably the best overall player in all the NFL and Aaron Donald. Uh, that's so dominant. Um, they do get a new defensive coordinator. They actually have a new defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, and special teams uh, going into this year, going into a Zoom year, which isn't, you know, probably <laughs> ideal. Um, and going back to the thing with we talked about Chicago is that their new defensive coordinator is now Brandon Staley, who was a defensive assistant on that staff uh, when they played Chicago in 2018. Um, I would guess that they would probably keep a lot of the same schemes that they had last year, running a three, four that Wade Phillips did Um, just trying to find ways that they can get Aaron Donald in different situations to get him in one-on-ones versus guards and tackles. uh, Cause that's where obviously he's going to win those one-on-one matchups and a lot of teams will try and double him, but there's different ways you, you know, you can might bring another guy from one end might have to what we call like slide your protection. Cause if you got more guys coming off the edge that we could block, we might have to make an adjustment. And if Donald is somewhere else, now you're kind of screwed. Um, but you know, from the defensive line standpoint, everything, you know, you got to get Donald move him around as much as you can. And then you might see them play a little bit more man coverage just because that's what Jalen Ramsey is so good at as a lockdown corner. So you might see them, you know, might ha- play one coverage on one side and Jalen Ramsey might just be what we call like a lot of teams or a lot of people would call it lock. So you can hear whatever coverage or whatever. And then if you hear lock, that usually means that the backside corner is man to man, wherever that guy goes, he's going. So you might see some concepts like that uh, from them to, to try and 
maybe create an advantage and, and maybe get more guys to to a field concept. Yeah, they played a little of that combination defense last year with Ramsey uh, mm-hmm. from uh, reports by people who know more than me that I saw that, that that was something that they did a little more often than they did prior to his getting there. I tell you, though, bring it up. I would not want to be a defensive coordinator in the NFC West at this no. point. I really wouldn't. It's just loaded. It's just loaded. It, it really is. And uh, you think Aaron Donald is the uh, best player and be- better than Patrick Mahomes? Who would you start a franchise with, Derek? Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Donald? Well, you know I'm a quarterback, so I'm obviously <laughs> going to be a little bit biased. But, I mean, the way that Aaron Donald is just so freaking dominant and can just shut down a complete run game. And, I mean, <laughs> he's been the defensive player of the year. Heck, he's had a 99 Madden overall rating. I mean, if that means anything. <laughs> I, I mean, that says it all. Everything. Oh, that means everything. No, he is. He's one of those handful of guys, and you don't want to put him in the same uh, – <clears throat> when, you're, when you're talking about guys. I'm not saying he is Reggie White or he is mm-hmm. – but he is one of those defensive linemen, one of the – a handful that – that I've ever seen who seemingly can take over a game, even generational talent. Yeah, he really, he really is uh, a a disruptor. And uh, maybe the biggest thing going for them as well, Mark, uh, as we move forward in that division where he might, he may be the one wild card that keeps the Rams defense um, viable against those ridiculous offenses that they're up against. It's going to be, it's going to be a dogfight. A team could win that division at 10 and six and be the best team in the NFC. You know, sure. they, they really could because they're beating each other up. They're yeah. going to be like the Pac-12 out there. Except good. Except good. And except and they, don't have, to, so they don't have to have only one loss or whatever to qualify <laughs> right. for the playoffs. They right. could have 10. They could have six losses and yeah. still be the best team, to your point. That's that's a that's an outstanding point. Uh, I guess Vegas has the Rams at nine over under. Joe Connolly put that out there. Our, one of our viewers, he takes the push. I would tend to go with a push on that one as well. Uh, over under Derek Rams, nine wins. What do you take? I, I might have to agree with you in the push. Either push. I mean, like, I think they're about a 10, nine, 10 win team. I mean, right. that's such a tough division. you got to play Russell Wilson twice a year. Uh, you got to play, you know, Kyle Shanahan and, and, and Jimmy Garoppolo in that defense twice a year. And then you got to play Kyler Murray in, in, in Arizona, who just somehow is getting better over the off season that everybody thinks that, you know, Arizona is going to make a run for the division. And I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll have to watch the tape and I'll let you guys know. <laughs> yeah. In, we'll, in, we'll get to hey, it in a funky year, additional weapons in a funky year that may be in some way truncated. Maybe we don't play 16 games. I would surprise me if Arizona was a playoff team. It wouldn't surprise me at all. And, and again, just from a defensive standpoint, Kyler Murray, while he still has a lot to learn is a nightmare. Uh, to mm-hmm. deal with for a defensive coordinator. So, uh, Mark, I always, I, I will say it now, you, you always make fun of me, but it is the most interesting division in football. It's no longer the NFC South, which I thought well, was the most interesting. Which is very which interesting, is, interesting Which is more interesting than it was when I said it was the most interesting division in football. It was. It was. Yeah. You, you, love, you love that description of overall descriptions. <laughs> I do. I really do. About NFL divisions. All right, Derek Abbott, thank you very much. Friend of the show, assistant coach for the Coast Guard Academy, breaking down the Los Angeles Rams. We'll see you in a couple weeks doing the same thing, Derek. You up for it? Sounds good. Just let me know. Give me give me more than a twenty four hour notice next time. Then welcome <laughs> to welcome to the welcome to Ferrera Land. Ask your dad about Mark deciding he wants to make a change in the show fourteen minutes before showtime. Keith will wow, fill you in on all of you're that. You're giving me a lot of credit on that yeah, one. You're giving me a lot of thirteen minutes earlier than normal. Yes. All right, Derek. Thank oh, you very much, gosh. bud. Thanks. Thank you. We'll talk to you Bye. soon. Say hello to your father.
right. tell you it though it boy that fires me up talking about that because you just look at how good those teams could be in the West and know, that dude. you could get two wild card teams out of there. I think easily if you start looking at these other divisions, really, you know the uh, the NFC East. Uh, no, but but I the, don't. But the South is the South, the, right? But they're going to beat up and, on themselves on each other as well. And the North has two good teams, two really good teams. The Packers and the Vikings are pretty good teams. Yeah, but I and the I, Saints I, and the Bucks are going to be pretty good. So I mean, we're talking eight, nine, really, you know, really solid teams in the NFC. It's much tougher uh, conference than the AFC. Yeah, I mind. just, I just, uh, you know, Green Bay and Minnesota. To me, Green Bay and Minnesota are the teams that always seem to end up being the worst 11 win team. Do you know what I mean? When we get to the end of the season, we go, well, you know, they won 11, but uh, so I, right. I, I, I just, I just think with all, all of that uh, offensive firepower that you see out West. Yeah. 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 Um, and they, they could, uh, they're going to, who plays them this year? What, what, what other division plays? I believe the it's with? the AFC East. Oh God. Almighty. And, and it, and it's the NFC East, I believe. So they have to, the problem with that, of course, is the travel for the West coast teams, because they've yeah. got to, you know, go make, make that huge trip. And the, the record isn't very, very good for even strong teams going and playing a one o'clock Sunday game on the you're East right. coast. If you're from the West, even strong teams maybe have a 500 record doing that. So that's going to be tough. Um, but they, but at least it's the AFC East, which isn't, you know, you Buffalo. Yes. And, and new England, it's going to be yeah. very interesting with cam uh, the NFC East though, the giants, no, Philly's okay. Washington, no. you know, Dallas will be interesting. So well, we'll they'll see. win. They'll win nine or ten, and we'll talk about them more than we did teams that are undefeated. That's true. Although they really do in the every other year kind of thing, so they may push eleven, twelve wins this year. Is my can prediction. I ask you this question about that though? Before I know we have to jump onto the regressive because we are uh, we're behind. We're behind but, on it because of me. We're it's it's forty okay. minutes into the show, and we it's don't okay. have haven't given our first clue. There are people writing in and demanding my resignation. Well, and and I would. I'm where do I sign? Um, but uh, the uh, uh, the question of uh, Dak's contract in Dallas, which is this continuing soap opera of epic yeah. proportions at this point, I guess, if you listen to the national media, I don't know. It's such a big friggin' deal. Um, non-playoff team can't sign quarterback. That seems to be what the headline should be. But um, do, do you see that as in any way? Dak, he doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to take that issue to the field. But is it something that you would worry that that team, seeing a lack of commitment to this guy who is their leader, um, and I think, again, with, with their struggles, I don't think Dak's the reason for their struggles, frankly. Um, but do you see any of this contract thing and hang, creating some sort of a hangover for them coming into this season? No, I on don't. Paper, on paper, they should be an 11 yeah. game winning I team. Think, they really should. And they were 8 and 8 last year. Remember that? Right. They were 3 and 0. Oh, everyone thought they were going to win the Super Bowl, go right. undefeated, and they went through a horrible stretch and then couldn't even win the couldn't even win the division. So against a very very dilapidated 
Philadelphia Eagles team that was a just weak, decimated weak from injury. division. A weak, weak division. And they right. couldn't even win that division. Right. And I think they're going to bounce back. I think they're going to have 11 or 12 wins. And I think this will, you know, the, unfortunately make a difference. I just, I just think it's going to, you know, Jerry Jones once again is going to think, yes, I made the right moves. I made the right moves. Mm-hmm. I gave Amari Cooper everything he wanted. I gave Ezekiel Elliott everything he wanted. And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to hold a firm line on, on Dak. I'm only going to give him $34 million, which is the franchise tag <laughs> or whatever it is. And, um, you know, we'll see. I think they're going to have a good year. I really do. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to be tough because as to your point, John, the Dallas Cowboys are talked about whether they win three, games or eight games they are talked about all the time right now if they're going to win 11 or 12 we're not only going to hear about it all the time but it's going to be breathless it's going to be breathless talk jeff and i are going to be so fed up just (laughs) drives you you are going to be clamoring for san francisco talk both of you in the midst of next season you will you can't wait you're 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 gonna be a become a bust you're gonna set up a new buster posey fan club to just get away from the incessant avalanche of Dallas Cowboys talk, I guarantee it. Well, listen uh, to the to, to the point of the NFC East. Joe Conley, our uh, our fan and friend, uh, just put uh, just uh, posted that uh, f- uh, the Rams' schedule. Their first five games are Dallas, Philadelphia, Buffalo, the Giants, and Washington. <laughs> so they're going to get that out of the way pretty quickly. That's good. Um, That's- yeah, that might get that might stake them to you know they let's say they go in those first five games they go four and one that might stake them to. Uh, something that they can grasp hold of as they, as they move into divisional play. Cause that's just going to be, it's a and tall Joe order. Connelly, uh, full disclosure. He's a major Dallas Cowboy fan and, right. is, um, you know, predicting a six and zero start or predicting a six yep. and zero finish against the NFC East. It's Absolutely. Like, six and zero against the, the NFC East, the three hubris, and seven against everyone else. The hubris does not no. ever abate. It's okay. It's what, I mean, have. what is that? What they, is have. it a Texas thing? Because he's also a Gator fan, and that it seems to the Gators. The Gators are the sort of the equivalent of the Cowboys. Oh, stop it! That's just because you really were a are. Fan. That's just because I mean, you were a Florida State fan. No, it's what do you Emmett know about Smith. college football. You're West it's Coast. Emmett Smith. It's Emmett Smith. It's just and what do you mean Emmett there. Smith? One guy goes and plays for the Cowboys. Emmett Smith, Hall of Famer, great oh, yeah. college football player. Yes, he was great a connection. And, and Joe Connolly, Emmett Smith, and Joe Connolly. <laughs> Need I say more? <sighs> We we have no Dallas weeks. We have a week where we just won't mention the Dallas Cowboys. We have something to the equivalent of a swear jar, where if either of us says anything, we got to throw a grand into it. Yeah, we'll have we'll produce a, a graphic, a yeah. major graphic with a sound effect that's right. a, you know throw kind of thing. Thousand dollars into it, since that's right. what you and I you and I made combined in two thousand twenty. A thousand dollars. We're going to be careful. We're going to be careful to not bring it up. Sure, sure, because, very careful know, because we don't have that, much. Yeah. Got to make that thousand. Got to make that eighty dollars and thirty cents a month last. You know. Yeah, it's going to be tough to get back into the three digits. You know, that's uh, it's been a while. So. Man, <laughs> man. All right. Remember those two hundred and fifty dollar weeks? My God. Let's do some progressive trivia, shall we? Fair Here enough. We All right, progressive trivia coming up. We're looking for an NBA player, past or present. Here we go. Fifteen plus seasons, played with eight head coaches. Top 10 all-time in assists and top five all-time in triple doubles. 
15 plus seasons, played with eight head coaches. That's an exact number. So this that, that's a Googleable, <laughs> Googleable stat for all the people that are using their performance enhancing devices out there. Top 10 all time in assists, top five all time in triple doubles. So that's it. First set of clues. And there right. we go. I have no guess, by the way. That's I'll I'll think about it, but that's you know it's a it's it's a bit nebulous. nebulous. I always no, it's assume good. it's nebulous, and then people get it on the first four. That's right. that's the thing that's that's the thing that's really uh, disheartening. You know, you no, think ah, it's nebulous. No one's going to get that, and sure enough, you know, I know. And I have so, to be careful because I've been accused of coming up with two far too difficult questions. So I try to keep it at least you know in some way guessable. All right, so Joe Connolly. Joe Connolly is is having a, a a starring role in this in this particular episode, yeah. Because he also uh, sent me this article, um, re- really just a set of statistics, pictures of statistics about how uh, successful the Premier League has been mm-hmm. in terms of their testing and in terms of the percentage of testing. And I know that that's that's going to be a po- major political issue. We'll talk about that with our pandemic politics in terms of. Uh, <laughs> You, you need to report negative tests as well as positive tests. Yes, so you, you do. Accurate uh, description of what the percentage is. But the percentage in the Premier League is very, very low. And they have had it's consistently a, a lot gone of success. Down. It's yes. consistently gone down as well, which I think is the uh, is the most important thing, is that they started out, I think, their first week, there were maybe nine <laughs> positive tests. There, um, were, there were six in May. There were six, okay, six positive six. tests in May. And then two subsequent, subsequent, uh, not even weeks, subsequent three day periods. Right. Two, four, zero, and one. Right. And the last one was through, uh, through the second of June. Uh, and they pull, you know, they pulled off that season pretty well. And, uh, congratulations to Liverpool. We're, we're very excited for Liverpool. That's right. right. We're going to speak in Scouse for the rest of the show. Hey, pardon me for asking, but how'd, the, how'd Liverpool do? Well, they beat Everton, you know. Is that true? Well, Very it is good. true. Why would I make it up? Well, you're Paul. Who knows? Sorry. No, I like it. I like it. We don't have enough Beatles references or enough Beatle imitation on the show. We need to increase that. Adding that to the whiteboard. So, yeah. So what do you think that is? Does anyone have a theory? Well, Did I think you- they, they started their... their um, when they started uh, getting their Premier League players together and getting the season back together, they were they were in a down cycle in Great Britain, um, in Britain where the Premier League takes place, and they have players obviously from all over the world. Um, but I think that they probably put their protocol in place at a good time before they started to see. Now they're starting to surge in uh, in Britain again right now, but I think that they just put good protocol in place, Mark, and they put it in place at the right time. And I think that that's that's benefited them. But I but I certainly I would think and I I, I know that there must be NFL owners and uh, uh, Major League Baseball folks and NBA, NHL as well, who are in some sort of contact with those folks. In fact, I know that the the Glazer family that owns the Buccaneers, they also own, I believe, Manchester United in the Premier League. So whatever they are doing, and I think it really has to do with their timing was was quite good as to when they started bringing their players back in. And uh, 
And when you say that, what do you what do you mean by that? What do you mean by their timing was good? Well, I think there, there it was in, it was at a time when uh, the the number of cases in uh, and you're in Europe and in Britain were on the decline, and they 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 had done a pretty decent job with uh, with their protocols, so that player once players were tested and then they entered into they didn't bubble like the NBA, but when they when they got with their teams and then they were under these stringent rules. Um, it, they, there, there were not as many people who were positive at that point, uh, who, uh, they were coming in contact with, they were, they were just coming in contact with fewer people. And so I think that that's really just basically why their numbers are down as much as they So using that strategy or that logic, um, would you think that if the NBA and the NHL and major league baseball would have started? Say in mid-May when the numbers were all down in the South, when everything seemed to be, I think that, it's possible that, that they could have continued that, or they would have been right in the middle of what's happening now and and not been able to hold it off. Or do well, you think their protocols would have been able to hold it off? And that's what hasn't held it off in the South is that people haven't taken this these protocols and these CDC guidelines seriously. Well, I think there are there are some of that people not taking the guidelines as seriously. But I, I again, I just think that there's you know had had. If we backed up a month and that's when the NBA had entered into their bubble, um, I think, you know, you would have seen uh, really good. The numbers would have remained uh, fairly consistent with the Premier League, even with uh, the way things were going here. Because at that point, while we were starting to see increases, we weren't seeing seeing them to the extent that we are now. The thing with the Premier League is they've wrapped up. They won't. they, they wrapped up before things started ramping up again in Great Britain. So I, I just think it was a time. I really think it was largely a timing thing. I think they were in the right place at the right time with the right protocol to keep things um, more limited. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do think, though, that even the uh, uptick in the UK is nowhere near the uptick no, but facing here. And so maybe that benefited them, too, is that the country was just behaving better. Right. And I'm sorry, I guess I just didn't uh, communicate it particularly well. That was part of that was part of what uh, my point was, that people were taking the protocols more seriously. Now, they have backed off of that a little bit in Britain. And there are reports coming from there now that the numbers and I'm full disclosure, I have really close friends who live in London and uh, the numbers are ticking up. They're starting to see a little bit of what we're starting to see because there, once things started to open up, people thought that meant that they could go back to their normal uh, way of life. And as opposed to incrementally moving in that direction, they went immediately to crowding together without masks and not social distancing. So I think if the Premier League lasted another month, you might see those numbers go up. Interesting. All right. That, that's just, you know, again, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't know any more than that. But I just, you know, look at when they came online and what the, what the numbers were for positive tests in Great Britain at that time. And things were on a, on a downward trend. It's just the same as here in Central Florida. When Universal, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of consternation about Disney reopening right now. And um, people are like, well, why, why aren't they talking about Universal? Well, when Universal opened, we were actually in a downward trend with numbers. And now we're in a. In an, uh, a obviously the numbers have gone up greatly, and I think that's where the uh, so much uh, there's so much divisiveness about it. Is it's why would you reopen when right. everything is 
but is it, moving upward and, as opposed and to and I, upwards I mean, I understand where that angst is coming from, truly. But if all things are equal at the end of the day, yeah. Universal should be just as much on the skewer as as Disney. They should. They're but both I, open. Yeah, they're I both do. open. But part of that, part of that also is let's go back to our Dallas Cowboy thing. You talk about Disney. That's a much bigger brand than Universal. You know, Universal, very big brand right here in Central Florida, but in the larger scheme of things, Disney is yeah. a, you know, a ubiquitous, earthbound uh, entity. By definition, I mean, it's, just, it's not no, earthbound. By the, the actual name implies right. non-earthbound. All right. Well, but you would give my point. The, the entire planet, for the most part, knows the Disney name. It's Coca-Cola. Yes. It's, you know. Well, you Dallas Cowboys, that. New York Yankees. Yes, I know. No, I dispute Dallas that. Cowboys, New no. York Yankees. It's also Coca Cola. It's also that's in the a, news a lot America. right now because of so many sports going there too. Yeah, but, yeah. But, I, mean, I mean, it's just the at the forefront. Yeah, yeah. If they were playing the NHL playoffs over at Universal, there'd probably be a little more discussion little more. about it. But it's just you put Disney. It, it is clickbait. You put Disney reopening as a headline, and more people are going to click on it than Universal. I understand that, but I'm I'm just wondering about friends and and colleagues. But you're talking about friends from outside of Florida wondering what's going on that that that, that really don't think much of Universal, but think a lot about Disney. Uh, it, with this pandemic politics affecting sports in this country, the the real issue seems to be now, John. Not that not not that we're going to wait for cases to go down. Right. or the infection rate to even go down, or deaths to necessarily go down, because everything's on the uptick. And I would say everyone, everything is a major spike, not just a blip. <laughs> but um, so the the real issue is, do, do you just, you know, say, damn the torpedoes and full speed ahead? It, it does seem to me that it's that that's where the divide is right now. It's yeah. like, yeah, I'll acknowledge this. I'll acknowledge that. I'll acknowledge this risk. I'll do this. But damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. We need football in this country, according to Ed Orgeron. <laughs> He's saying that. Who's, by the way, a football coach. So. He need yeah you know the the state. I would like to it. say the country needs more public address announcers. So Johnny could yep. use a job. There you go. There you go. But the country needs football in his mind, and we should go full speed ahead. Now you know again it's it's a political thing because Mike Pence was there when he said it, mm -hmm. and you know LSU just. I don't know. I think right before this thing hit, went to the White House to celebrate their national championship. So there's 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 a lot of. Uh, you know, there, there, there's a lot of allied and same kind of groupthink there about let's just go full speed ahead. But there are uh, people on both sides of the divide. Let's just say this. There are people on both sides of the divide that feel that sports up and running, giving people that as as, as somewhat of a distraction uh, is a is a good idea on both people on the left and the right. And I'm not really even disputing. Ed Orgeron's not saying anything different than a lot of people have said. And what else would you expect from a head coach of the defending national champions. I mean, certainly he's, he's, he's going to say that. And I do believe to, to that point, it will act as for, for people as, as something to take their minds off what has continually been this horror show of a story. Um, and you are right. There is a school of thought that we plow ahead. We, we move forward. We'll be able to get through this. And perhaps that is the right decision. I don't pretend to have to, to have cornered, uh, the, the whatever the right decision is on, on this thing. Other people disagree. That's perfectly fine. But I think Madero Duran said is what a lot of people think from a from a sports perspective, too. If they started playing sports with no no crowd, everybody could be happy with no crowd. 
a lot more people would be willing to stay home and not go yeah. out and do things. You could have something Excellent point. that a lot of people would be willing to say. You could even say, hey, we're going to play sports. No crowd. Everybody has to wear a mask when you go outside. And I guarantee right. you 90% of people in this country would say, hey, I'm going out to buy a couple masks. Hey, I wonder if fewer people got infected because Hamilton was on Disney Plus over a week and everybody stayed home and watched it 100 times. So, you, yeah, there's you didn't for sure. You, <laughs> you, you stayed safe. I did. I was very, very safe with that. But that that's a good point as well. And we should point out that I think uh, Philadelphia has said that they would be playing without uh, without um, <laughs> and the Hamilton talk. Talk crawl for those of you listening is now making its way across the uh, the bottom of the screen. Obsessed with what did I miss now? In case anybody's scoring at home, that's the new song. I can't get out of my head, um, but I do think that's that's a really good point. Philadelphia has announced they're going to be playing without without fans. Um, so I, you know, I I, I don't. Again, I am not going to pretend to know uh, pretend to know what the answer is. I know what my answer would be if I were a player, um, but. That's coming from the rather limited uh, perspective from which I approach this. Well, that was a very interesting take, Jeff, that if let's say we started baseball in May, let's say we did what the Premier League did and we started basketball up, we started hockey up, we started baseball up in May, late May, even even early June when it hadn't really started going back up yet. Uh, maybe people would have stayed inside, to your point, And there's this it, it's almost as if. You know, take we can adjust on a lot of things as Americans. We can adjust here. We can adjust there. We can stay home. We can go out and have masks. We can do a lot. But don't take our live sports away from us because then we'll just go. Then everything will fall apart. Then we're just going to go to a bar with 3000 people in it and hug everyone and French kiss everyone. It's like all or nothing. Give me. I know, John. That what the hell bars are you too. going to? Well, you know. Good Lord. What kind of Bacchanal bar is Mark going to? <laughs> uh, you're just sloppy drunk. We're bathing in tequila, just making out. There's non-gender specific making out everywhere. Good Lord. <laughs> you Holy know, hell. That's what we're headed to. That's that Florida place in Disney that's, Springs. You ought to fill people in here. That's yeah. what it is. That's, that's what it is. They got to draw people somehow, John. And that's, that's what it is. Uh, hey, here's but, another thing though. Can I just, I want to, that's a very the, interesting point yeah. that people would just stay home. They'd be happy. Like there's a part of them that would just be okay with everything else. As long as they have their live sports. Uh, but I want to jump back amazing. to the premier premier league for a minute. Uh, Great Britain's a very small country and you don't have to and traveling from one venue to another is, uh, is much easier. So that's also part of what they had going for them versus the NFL college football. The, the travel is a lot more limited in the premier league, at least distance wise. So more, uh, I guess you can put this under the, the umbrella of pandemic politics because the whole protest thing came as a result of obviously some horrible events that happened, but, Many people have speculated that because people were so locked up for so long that this was a perfect powder keg to start these protests. And uh, we have Kenny Stills, who was arrested last night, a protest in, uh, I believe it's Kentucky. Is it Kentucky? Um, I believe so. I believe it's the attorney general for Kentucky. I think it is as well. Yeah. And they were on his lawn. And I guess it was a peaceful protest. But the. Fe the the law that they got arrested under that they broke ostensibly uh, is, you know, by breaking it, they've committed a felony if they're right. convicted of this. Right. And the actual law says that uh, due to their refusal to leave the property and their attempts 
to influence the decision of the attorney general with their actions. So on the surface, if you're protesting and you're saying, you know, LBJ, LBJ, how many babies did you kill today outside the White House to try and affect Lyndon Johnson to change his decision on policy about the Vietnam War and about the bombing? That's a felony? I mean, isn't that the same thing? Or is it because it's private property that you can't do it? You can't do it on private property. Nobody has the right to protest on private property. So if they would have gone out in the street, yes, walked, yeah, I think they would have been fine. Yeah, yeah, they would have been fine. The Kentucky Attorney General probably's property is you know forty acres, so it would be a while for them to get into the street. (laughs) They'd have to bring a megaphone. They'd have to bring a megaphone or run a can with a. Can you hear us? Run a camera. Run a (laughs) camera feed into the security system. But even then, then it's private property. Yeah. Now I think the wording is interesting because to your point, Mark, as far as like staying on private property when you're asked to leave and not leaving. Look, I'm a screaming left wing liberal commie pinko freedom hater, but even I think that's you know you got to go. You got to get off property when somebody asks you to get off property. But the thing about, you know, an attempt to influence, it really does seem like, you know, eh, that seems like you're being arrested for protesting, which is something we're all allowed to do. But uh, And now Kenny Stills, I do have to point out, Kenny Stills is really consistent. He has been one of the best uh, warriors for social justice and stuff. He's been kneeling since 2016. He got every player in Miami registered to vote, those who hadn't registered to vote. he donated his man of the year money to Colin Kaepernick's foundation and he works with law enforcement in every city. I just, I write these down cause I was going to forget them. Started a mental health foundation. He is a very, very consistent guy in that sort of, uh, in that sort of milieu. And I take my hat off to him and you know, people, people get arrested for protesting and doing this stuff all the time. Sometimes that's a squeaky wheel thing. No, I agree with that. It's just that if they would have just said their refusal to leave the property, then that would be that would be understood. But it's but it was like a separate charge and yeah. their attempts to influence the decision. Yeah, I, that's of sorry. the attorney general. I don't know that, what to tell you that. that that obviously is not going to play into the <laughs> indictments. But yeah, that's, it, I feel like that uh, goes against uh, the right to peaceful protest. If you are that's a PR. That's a PR statement to me. The attorney generals. <laughs> we don't want to. You cannot influence this decision. You cannot do that. But we can you can you show up, stand on his lawn and not leave? If it's like, we agree with you, we agree with you, then you're okay. Yeah, because he's not going to call the cops. (laughs) You could get away with that forever. Oh, goodness. Uh, So the NBA uh, and I think we probably agree that so far they have led the way. They certainly seem to be the league that is most organized, that seems to have their act together. Uh, the most. And there's lots of reasons for that. A uh, big one being they're all in one place. Right. But that was also a decision they made. Oh, by yeah. the way, yeah. together with were, the union and together with Disney. I mean, they, they got to, it didn't just pop out of the sky that they got. Right. There. But I mean, they were lucky in and of the fact that, uh, you know, ABC and ESPN have the NBA and they are owned by Disney. Disney has a property that's that's right there uh, with uh, facilities to play the games. Some of them, you know, multiple games at the same time and uh, plenty of hotel rooms and all of that. So they got a little bit lucky in that, uh, Mark, that they were they were in the right, talk about the right place at the right time. They were the right league at the right time to give this a try. And they're continuing to act like res- the responsible adults in the room by adding a, an antibody test yeah. to return 
protocols. Once you've tested positive and you have to quarantine, you have to go away, they have to, they have to isolate you, put you in a room, a soundproof room, whatever it is they're doing. It needs to be soundproof. Believe it is. You're there by yourself. Yes. They just put, they just slide in food underneath the door. And, um, when you come back, they're going to require an antibody test, which I think is smart. As well, and they're also—I don't know if this is uh, i guess this oh, snitch line is so this good. official, yeah, or is this just something they're thinking about? No, they have—they have instituted a snitch line, which there is a number that uh, someone who's in the bubble—I think it's anyone's, not just players, but anyone who's in the bubble—and there are people out, you know, administrative people, just uh, uh, television people, radio people, trainers. Yeah, there's all kinds of people in the bubble, but they can call um, and anonymously. Uh, say that, you know, so and Kawhi Leonard wasn't wearing his mask at dinner, whatever it happens to be. Kawhi Leonard was went to the ESPN grill yeah. and he had a hamburger and he didn't wear a mask. <laughs> Please get this anonymous. And by the way, he got a uh, great Poupon on his burger. So clearly not an American. Um, yeah. So they instituted this and what they said initially was like after the first night, no one had called. No one's called. Come on. Now, apparently people are calling and people are getting called out and visits to their room, which I love that. Who's showing up at their room? Some masked up NBA security guy like. Yeah. Open up. We heard you were out there without your mask. Do it again, and it's the mahogany truncheon for you. So, I yeah, it's uh, I think yeah, it's what is what is the enforcement procedure? That would be fun to find out. You know, is it a game suspension? Is it a, a you know a public flogging? Well, <laughs> I think I think for flogging for a second offense, you have to go walk around the Magic Kingdom at noon with a mask on because that's torture. Well, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Quickly, they're thinking about, you know, putting the Republican National Convention outside in Jacksonville in August. So that's going to be hot. Let's just say that. Just, just going to be hot. It's going to be hot. Well, hot. I will say this. I they have time. to wear masks outside in that heat. It's not going to be comfortable. I, I spent a lot of time up in Jacksonville. So if they move it out to the beach and you got the little breeze coming in, start everything when the sun goes down. It, there you go. It's darned pleasant, for gosh sakes. You're right. That's kind of fun. You know, just start don't. The festivities about 738. Right. Don't plan any big speeches at one o'clock in the afternoon. That's they don't, probably. They don't anyway. Right. right. They don't anyway. All right, so I guess one of our – I don't know if I've heard of this person, Herf Bamaya. I don't know. They're just kind of – I don't think this happened. Last night, Black Lives Matter tore down a statue. <laughs> Adlai Stevenson. Adlai wow. Stevenson. That's where he draws two-time the line. Democratic, Two-time Democratic nominee for president in 1952 sure. and 56, and Jack Kennedy's ambassador to the United Nations, Adelaide Stevenson. And exactly. And Through uh, a short period of time before Jack Kennedy was shot in Dallas. So please click off Kennedy assassination on the whiteboard that keeps track of the same On the thing. bingo card. Matthew's the, playing B- AFR bingo. Very nice. Uh, that uh, Adelaide Stevenson was hit over the head. This woman hit him over the head with a sign there. In it's Dallas. Hysterical video. And then she said she was pushed from behind. She was lying through her teeth. Just some, looked like some Dallas housewife just had a sign and just, just took a, just went yeah. all postal on uh, Adelaide Stevenson. Assault on him in Dallas prior to the assassination. <laughs> also, just he. Me? It's not just that was J.A. for K Talk. Dave K Talk with John Pelkey. Mark gets in on this too. For God, hey, of course he I hasn't yet. There are I banners know. for Mark as well. They are waiting. For those, 
For those of you listening to the podcast, there's now a little crawl underneath where Jeff can make fun of me every time I talk about Hamilton or JFK. I, I want to give you credit, though, because this may be the only sports show in America that's able to respond to a joke about Adlai Stevenson or, or yes, a statue or about Adlai Stevenson being torn down or yes. unless it's true. And then it's no longer a joke. Right. No. <laughs> All right. Let's go back to progressive trivia. How about that? Doesn't that All sound right. like a good idea? Yeah. Here we go. Let's go back to that. And where are we? I guess that's it right there. Those are our first four clues. 15 plus seasons played with eight head coaches. Top 10 all-time in assists, top five all-time in triple doubles. We had a Jason Kidd guess earlier on. That is incorrect. Next set of clues coming up. Top 10 in field goals missed. All-time, rookie of the year. Active leader in turnovers, so this is an active player. And top five in rebounds for active players as well. So top five in rebounds, leader in turnovers, rookie of the year, 10 field goals missed, and we'll go back and do the uh, visit the other ones quickly. 15-plus seasons, played with eight head coaches, top 10 all-time in assists, and top five all-time in triple doubles. No, oh, I just gave you a bad answer, so don't pay any attention to that. Because once again, I focused on one, and I'm like, oh, that's not a good one. That's a terrible one. So never mind. Don't don't even look at it. Look away. Look I'm away. I'm looking away. I'm looking look, away right now. I'm look looking away. away. Sorry. All right, so... Uh, Quickly, let's talk about this uh, trademark squatter. Is that what, is that what they're called? <laughs> trademark squatters. Right. Uh, and this particular dude uh, has squatted on some popular redskin names. And so they're going to have to pay him, right, if they, well, if they choose so those names. What he did, uh, the background of the story is, is there, there's this guy, and Jeff's actually done the homework on him. Apparently, this he's been at this for a while, who has registered as many trademarks as he could with possible names uh, to replace uh, the name Redskins for, for Washington, which they've announced that they're going to do. And one of the reasons, at least from, from what we've read, uh, one of the reasons that they could not announce a team name when they were announcing that they were changing the team name was because of this guy squatting on all of these trademarks, uh, for which we assume that he is going to ask Dan Snyder to open up the wallet and pay him for Right, so he's he's got these names, he's trademarked them, right, and he, he's going to get paid if if they choose them. That's his plan, right? At least, I I, that's his- yeah. And you know, uh, was it Lenny or or it was one of Mark's friends that said yesterday that uh, or the day before Washington Football Club he has that trademark. Right. I, yeah, how about that? I, I found fun. it. I found it interesting that this gentleman is very much involved in this because he dropped warriors in 2015 because he had a hunch that dan snyder was not going to go with warriors in 2015 he he let that one go so i give this guy credit he's been playing the long game i mean i think the the last time the redskins name uh came up in terms of a, a debate point amongst people uh, when they wanted to debate things that would not affect their lives in the slightest, but wanted to scream and shout about it from the rooftops. Uh, I think it was like 2013 or 14, like 13 or 14. Yeah. Seven, six, seven years ago. So, you know, he, he got in on this about a year after that and a year and a half after that, whatever it is. And he's been playing that game ever since. And so now he is licking his chops, but he's probably kicking himself a little bit for dropping the Warriors uh, in 2015 when the Golden State Warriors, oh, by the way, were, uh, you know, the toast of the town, the toast right. of the country, the toast of the world, really. Right. 
Well, I mean, good for him. That's that's you know, I, I I'm not always a huge fan of just unfettered free market stuff, but hey, Dan Snyder said all those years ago, printed in caps, we will never change the name. So this guy has spent. Jeff, you got the number. How much money has he spent on 20, registering? Twenty thousand on uh, registering just for the Washington football team, and he he's got some uh, he's got some really interesting um, names here. He's got the Red Tails, which he owns. Mm, the Monuments, okay. which would I I never thought of that one. That's not a bad one. I've heard that like one. The, that one. The, I like that one. Veterans, the Renegades, the Red Tailed Hawks, and the Americans. Yeah, a couple of those I remember coming up because, you know, again, as a Skins fan, I remember going back when they were talking about it, and I remember some of those names coming up. I, oddly, he also, Mark, and uh, this is just surprising and noteworthy, he also trademarked the Washington Adelaide Stevensons, which I think would be wow. a poor name, yeah, but they could be. perhaps do Stevenson's receding hairline on the helmet. So it would be, sure. if you're watching on the, it would be like a, it would start a, a, a really, really uh, a dyed black color, which is nowhere near what Stevenson's hair color really was there. And then if they could just work out those kind of glasses that he wore, it's sort of a nebbish looking gentleman. I think the only uh, thing that name has going for it is it doesn't suffer from Mark's uh, alliteration problem. <laughs> That's right. I do, I do have an alliteration problem. I do really do. Washington, Washington Wizards never liked mm. Washington Warriors. It's fine. But the, the monuments, the generals, the uh, football club, there's some good ones out there. I hope they and, – and, and does anyone have an over-under as to when they officially announce this? I mean, well, I don't think they can because – training camp perhaps or whatever, whatever training camp is going to be like? Well, they essentially said with all deliberate speed, so I know we, have, we know that ha- how that worked itself out the last time, um, is they have not said when. They, it's something that's going to happen, and I'm doing air quotes, soon is really all that we've gotten from them, and I don't know what that means. And they made, and again, I would be, I was shocked when they said the change would happen this year. I just didn't think that you, the wheels that you have to put in motion to do that would be, would be difficult, which is why I thought the easy choice would be go to Warriors, go to the old spear helmets that they had uh, that looked like kind of like Florida State. Um, but apparently, everything that I'm reading on, on the Washington blogs and everything is that that is completely out. That Warriors is out completely. I saw another one, Tribe, which would be kind of cool. That's what um, the uh, William and Mary. Um, we used to be the William and Mary Indians, and uh, they changed their name to just the Tribe. Hmm. So, how how about the uh, how about the Cardinal? <laughs> Since it worked for Stanford, the Stanford Cardinal. Does you know, make from any the sense? Indians, There's, okay. Makes no sense. Arizona no Cardinal sense. is already in the NFL, so it's really stupid. But no, but it's a Cardinal, though. It's a tree. It's different. It's different. Yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's, the, it's a tree. It's one close. less letter. It's too close. Yes. It's too yes. close. It's like Ram. Oh, it's a truck. <laughs> Shut up. Come on. Yeah, but they're, Giants. They're, don't. don't Teams have the same names in leagues, don't they? Don't they? Don't teams share the same mascot? And certainly in college football, they do. Well, like yeah, because other team is a tiger. The right. Tigers. Every other team, the Tigers. Oh, Auburn's got to have three names. I mean, they don't even have one. They can't even choose one. For God's sake, uh, not, not like the NFL. There aren't any teams and same names. You can't have name that close together. Come on. Okay, I'd have gone with the skins. Supposed to be a joke. Supposed to be I'd have gone. I'd, I'd gone just with the, the skins. skins. Just the skins. I'd have gone with the skins because okay. that's all we ever called them. You just called them the skins. Yeah. So the logo is a, a potato, perhaps. No. Why would it, the logo have to be a potato? 
what, well, what it'd have to have some cheese and is, sour cream and bacon on it, though. It can't just be a potato. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it looks it, like it, a, it looks it like a baked potato. It, right. So half the helmet is like a silver sort of looks like uh, uh, tin foil, and then the open potato. And yeah, and each player can put the topping on he chooses. Guy's I a little like more that. health conscious. He's got a little little little, bro- little steamed broccoli. You lead the team. Potato. You lead the team in tackles. You get more bacon on your. Perfect. Potato you man. get the everything potato, sour cream, <laughs> chives, bacon. You get the everything like helmet. Come the on. Skins. The skins, because we <laughs> we have to make the distinction between human skin and other kinds of skin. Because if it's just the skins, then wow. it, we're back to our problem. Taylor Ferreira uh, chiming in. Is that a relative of yours, Mark, watching the show? Yes, How about that? Uh, said it <laughs> should be a Washington Cardinal, and the mascot is the Catholic Cardinal. Well, there are any number of inappropriate jokes that this recovering Catholic could do. So I'll stay away from that. Really? Why? Why, why, why would you Just, back off on that at this point? I would be in favor of that if they you made nothing, the helmet. You have nothing to lose, John Pelkey. You yes. literally have nothing I've lost everything. to lose. Yes. I've lost everything at this why point. Why not go after the Freedom's Catholic. just another word for nothing left to lose. Exactly. I would You're be still in, not free. You'd be shot if you were in New Hampshire right now. I would be in favor of that if the helmets were then shaped like that miter board that a cardinal wears. So it's about two and a half feet tall. Yeah, um, I think I would think that would happen with uh, short uh, the short game running game, uh, short yardage running. You just put that helmet down, barrel into guys. Yeah, you couldn't stop them. Couldn't stop them. The ice bowl, there'd be no stopping them. It'd be like, all right, just go in. We don't yeah. want to get spiked by the helmet. Yeah, I am really interested to see what it turns out to be, though. Well, because I'm, more interested, I'm more interested in, in, in when it's going to happen, because that's the thing. It's like the pandemic. It's like there's. Things change every second. Right. We don't know anything. We've spent four months not really knowing anything. Five months almost at this point in time. And uh, it's the same policy with the Washington Redskins. All right, back to progressives. We do have a winner, by the way. Joe Connolly got it right. Congratulations. Oh. And here we go. Keep doing that wrong. Right, here we go. Yeah, if you're listening to the podcast, it's we're, we're we're figuring out the visual aspect. Yes, I, I apologize for saying I keep doing that wrong. That was one of the notes I specifically got, and mm-hmm. I dropped the ball on that one. I apologize to everyone. Uh, 15 plus seasons, played with eight head coaches, top 10 all time in assists, top five all time in triple doubles. We've got top 10 in field goals missed, rookie of the year, active leader in turnovers. Top five in rebounds for active players. Top 15 in steals all time. Top 10 in three-point percentage for active players. 16-time All-Star has played in 19 NBA. Uh, nine. I mean, in nine. Nine Please, NBA finals. Give him time. <laughs> He's not and a member of the coaches. 1960s Boston Celtics. <laughs> yes, indeed. So there it is. Uh, so there it is. Those are the, uh, those are the 12 clues. And, um, you know, we'll be giving you the answer in just a bit. So that it, that's what it is, Johnny. You already know the answer at this point in time because Joe Connolly got it right. I do. And uh, I, I, I think I'm going to do progressive trivias from now on and make them, like, literally make them Google proof. Okay. Like, figure out a way to, to really give specific clues, but that it's not e- easily Googleable. Maybe you know, we should do five and assists, and then you get the top. You get the top right. five. You know what I mean? Maybe, uh, maybe you should do the whole thing in Apache. Maybe, or or just uh, do it, 
you know, be a be a code talker, be a code talker, code <laughs> which breaker, is, which is another favored name which, for the. Which is a Washington if that code dude talker. bought code talkers. Then code he, talkers or code breakers. Somebody uh, owns code, it, but it's not him. Okay, somebody already is squatting say, on code talkers. If he got if he bought that like in 2013, then he is a time traveler because there's yeah. absolutely no way at that point in time you could have figured that out. Sorry. Yeah, there's good stuff. All right. So there it is. Uh, We want to give a little bit of love to this deep dive coming up on Friday. (laughs) We gave a lot of love to it on Monday. We have it coming up on Friday. It's uh, the 1969 Miracle Mets. And uh, John, I'm going to interview you a little bit on this one, if you don't mind. And then then you can go off and talk about some things we missed. But I'm going to ask you, is there a percentage of your presentation? Uh, well, I know there is. What is the percentage, I guess, is my question, of just the backdrop of 1969 itself, culturally, oh. politically, sports, the sports landscape? What do you think the percentage of is that uh, of that is in terms of your uh, presentation? Five percent, ten, maybe ten, maybe ten percent. I try to sprinkle it in throughout. You know, that's good. The 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 structure is going to be, you know, we'll go into the history of the Mets themselves, a little bit of the history of why Brooklyn the Brooklyn Dodgers and New York Giants left and uh, left a hole for a National League team in uh, in New York. Uh, so we'll talk a little about that. And then we'll talk about, uh, yes, the background of 1969, particularly. Um, as, and I'll, I want to try to sprinkle that throughout, maybe with some, uh, you know, as we talk about the season, maybe some things that happened during the season and then some things that happened um during the World Series and the show could probably be broken into thirds. The first third will be really sort of background information. The second third will be the regular season. And then the final third will be that five game World Series against the uh, right. the much, much better Baltimore Orioles. A uh, interesting thing about the, that whole thing. And I'll just give you a little interesting point, uh, Mark, when we talk about this is uh, in January of 1969, we had the upset of the century. In NFL football. Yep. It lasted about nine months as the upset of the century because nine months later, we have the Miracle Mets. Should be pointed out that the Jets beat the Baltimore Colts. The Mets beat the Baltimore Orioles. And the 1969 New York Knicks, who were a year away from winning their championship, uh, they upset in the playoffs in 1969 the Baltimore Bullets. So the uh, as a Baltimore Oriole fan, you can understand why... Hard for me to get behind any New York teams. Anything New York. Anything New York I at love all. New York. I love the city of New York. And, and I will admit for a small soft spot for the Knicks, just because I think it's more fun when the Knicks are, they're one of those teams where it's more fun when they're in the mix. Um, but yeah, not for the Jets. No, I don't really. They're inconsequential. Generally, my whole life, the Jets have essentially been an inconsequential football team. Right. There were a couple times in the 80s, 82 and 86. Yeah. They I mean, they, the playoffs. they made a run their championship game in 82 with Joe Walton. 98, uh, they, they, they make a great run with Vinny Testaverde. And did. that was kind of fun. I, I sort of got behind them then. But, uh, yeah, I just uh, it was, it was, if you were a fan of Baltimore sports – yeah, in 1969, man, did you hate New York? I know it's amazing. It really, it really is. And and, and many people, ask, go ahead. I was going to say, many people were saying that that 68 Colts team was the best team in the history of the NFL, right? And I that think, 69 Orioles team with 109, not 108, 109 wins that year. 
yeah. was considered one of the greatest teams in baseball history. Exactly. I mean, I think Baltimore had beaten in the NFC championship game uh, or the NFL championship game is what it was called still back then. The yeah. NFL championship game, I think they beat Cleveland 35 to nothing yeah. or something along those lines and were an 18 and a half point favorite. Now, the difference Super Bowl three. The difference between the two is that the Jets up to that point hadn't won a championship, but they've been a very good football team. They were just, you know, they were two Joe Namath interceptions in every playoff game away from getting to a championship. When he finally buttoned that up a little bit, that changed things. Um, whereas the Mets just came out of came out of nowhere. They averaged 108 losses the first five seasons. They weren't any good in 1968, though we saw. Some a, little, a little improvement, right? I think they, they cracked the 70-win barrier barely, right, in 1968. So I, I, think they, I think they won 83, actually, maybe, in 68. 80, um, lost 83, maybe, or something. No, I think they were 83 and 79 in 68. See, okay. I thought they were 73 and 89. But that's I don't just think me. so. I'll, I'll have to check. I may be wrong about that, because then they reverted back in 1970. They weren't in Again, so yeah. you know it's that that was a bigger surprise. But we, boy, you look back at it. Oh, and by the way, and then in 1970, the Knicks actually eliminated the Baltimore Bullets in the Eastern Conference Finals to get to the finals. So yeah. Baltimore and New York should should hate each other a lot more than they really do. It's amazing, and you know, at the club, at the ESPN Club, we would often ask people where they're from, and if they're from Long Island, as a rule. Uh, even Queens, obviously Queens, because of the proximity to Shea Stadium. Blanche, Blanche. But uh, they, they were they would be Mets and Jets fans. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't, and and there would be Yankees and Giants fans. That's how yeah. it would always break down. And of course, they're all Knicks fans. So for one bright shining moment, <laughs> the residents of Long Island and Queens actually right. could bask in wonderful glory all three of their teams essentially won in the same calendar year or the same uh 12 month span right and um and it's been a dark dismal descent really outside of billy joel's the stranger album long island's had nothing else to cheer about since you know and then of course and then of course man perhaps innocent man no that's when it all went away the innocent man that was the losing season of the billy joel it's it's a terrible you hate that all all right let's go back to uh, progressive trivia we do have a winner as mentioned before but we'll see if anyone else can chime in 15 plus seasons played with eight head coaches top 10 all-time in assists top five all-time in triple doubles top 10 in field goals missed this is all-time rookie of the year He's an active leader in turnovers, top five in rebounds for active players, uh, top 15 in steals all time. This is kind of a surprising statistic. Top stop, excuse me, top 10 in three point percentage for active players. That's surprising as well, considering the narrative on him. 16 time all star, played nine NBA finals. He is, of course, the great, perhaps the greatest. <laughs> LeBron James. Uh, it's interesting. I think that the top five stuff, if it's top 15, if it's top 20, uh, it's less Googleable. If it's, uh, you know, you, you just have to find stuff that's very specific and not easily good because, you know, top five in assists, there's going to be five players. It's now between. So you're asserting that everyone oh, who's yeah. watching this is cheating. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I should point out, I'd every, like to point out, everyone that makes a guess looks at their phone. Yes, okay. I'd like yes. to point out that Use the vast majority of those device outside of maybe you, Johnny. I'd just like to point out that the vast majority of those people are your family and friends. So I think basically you are 
casting aspersions on the people that you hang out with. Again, um, Joe Connolly is a friend of both of ours. Joe Connolly is, is a Cowboy fan and a Gator fan. Which I said to most. My, to my point earlier, John, Gator fan, Dallas fan, no, cheater. <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, Joe, I'm, I'm giving you a hard time. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, yeah anyway, there mm. it is. All right, I'm looking forward to the deep dive, Johnny. Yeah, it's Miracle Mets. And to your point about 1969 itself, I could do, we could talk for an hour and a half just about things that happened in 1969. Um, yeah. Starting in January with that Jets upset, the inauguration of Richard Nixon a couple of days later. Um, there, There's a ton of stuff to talk about. It was a very interesting year, very interesting year. And I think it's, I think it's just remarkable that teams from the same city in different sports pulled off what at the time nine months apart were considered the biggest upsets in the history of their respective sports yeah remarkable over two of the greatest teams ever in their respective sports as well that's pretty neat (laughs) gonna be a lot of fun looking forward to it johnny that'll be on friday for jeff taylor john pelkey Derek abbott my name is mark Furrier. you've been listening to after further review with mark and john got our deep dive next friday a couple of days from now We'll see you then. Stay safe.